It's a bird. It's a plane. It's it's a Chinese spy balloon no. flying over America. Well, not flying over America anymore. As of this recording, America has just shot it down off of the East Coast. So I'm sorry. I have I haven't seen this report at all. The last time I've seen people so like hung up on balloons was Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And do you remember Balloon Boy? Yes, that hoax that, that the family so like funny. perpetuated. So like I think America just likes to f- be fascinated by balloons. But this thing showed up. It, it entered American airspace over Idaho, and it's the size of like three school buses. <gasps> and it was determined to be. Chinese in origin and most likely some type of spy craft flying over. What kind of information are you collecting vis-a-vis spy balloon? Well, apparently, based on its trajectory and its like course that it was taking over the country, it was passing over specifically sensitive military sites. So I'm gathering maybe like missile silos or bases where you know you'd have to be. Flying Flying over what normally would be like restricted airspace to see what's going on inside them, things like that. And it also is equipped with electronics so that not only is it surveilling, but in theory, it's also uploading that data back to from wherever it came. Got it. So it posed a real national security risk. And several days ago, the consensus was we're not going to shoot it down because, again, it's the size of three school buses. So, you know, they're not going to try and bring that down over the suburbs and like potentially get somebody hurt or have all this equipment crash through somebody's roof. So they waited until it got out over the Atlantic Ocean and they took it down that way, ostensibly because they're going to recover it, study it, figure out what was going on, that kind of thing. But I mean, what a week. I just wonder like why? Like, I mean... I don't know. It's such a funny thing. Like it's it's a it's adorable to me. It's, it looks like a little hot air balloon. China have said officially on the record that it is not theirs. Rather, it's Chinese in origin, but that it is a civilian aircraft oh. that got lost and ran away. So I thought that was funny too. Interesting. I wonder. I guess that's possible. But I mean, you think about it. If it were America flying a spy balloon over China. a nation that we're like frenemies with, they would say the same thing. They're not going to say, "Oh, oops, yeah, you caught us." we were spying they're gonna be like oh that's a some hobbyists thing that got away from them nothing to see here yeah i'm like what civilian is building a full fucking balloon with cameras radar and communications equipment attached you know what i mean that's not a civilian project that's also the size of three school buses yeah like not a, wh- we're not is... talking about like a birthday party balloon i feel like i'm on edge <laughs> are you wait why no i don't know i'm just like i'm just like looking at myself in this video call and i'm like you look strung out no i mean you're sipping a kin aren't those supposed to help you just like mm, euphoric sort of like zone out yeah i am sipping a kin i I am loving it not sponsored unless can reach out to us i did sleep on a a friend's couch last night was it a comfy couch though no they made it pretty comfortable but it was too short and i honestly they didn't remove like the back pillows which i also think is really key it has to be a deep couch it was narrow so it was like i was like sleeping on in fucking steerage on the titanic like i was sleep it felt like i was in a cot in Mm -hmm. like a submarine or in like a convalescence hospital speaking of i just started watching downton abbey i'm so oh, far behind it amazing. never watched it you like ten, it 10 out of 10 12 out of 10 what do you like about it i think it's satisfying so i also really liked the 
the Gilded Age on HBO. Oh, Did you see I wa- that? I started it and was like, mm, this is boring. That's what most people said also. And I think if you get through like maybe the first three episodes or something, it pays yeah. off. I think if you understand who the players are, it's more fun for me just to sort of watch the late 1800s shade being thrown at each other and watch it like a comedy. Mm. So for me, Downton Abbey takes place in like starting in 1912 or something like with the okay. sinking of the Titanic. So I mean, it kind of satisfies that same level of like societal almost backhandedness, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. I did love the Nick. Do I know that? The Nick was like, it was the uh, the Clive Owen show on oh, like no. Showtime and he played a doctor in like oh. the turn of the 20th century in New York City back when like ambulances was like a competitive business, you know, like oh, to be it. the ambulance that like brought patients to doctors and then the doctors would pay you. And it's also like the dawn of like heroin and cocaine as like medical usage. Got it. It's okay, so got it. good. But I think it got canceled like after oh. like two seasons, but it was similar where it was like a lot of people stopped watching it, but I liked it because it was a lot of like primitive medicine. I mean, not primitive, uh-huh. but primitive. I mean, horrifying by today's standards. Horrifying. And doing like, you know, doing their like procedures in like theaters. Oh, right. Yeah, that was such and, like, a thing. The big thing he's trying to do is a successful cesarean, which like Ugh. had not yet been done. So just losing expectant mothers left and right. Right? I mean, you watch the new Game of Thrones. It was like, if you save the baby, you kill the mother. Yikes. So anyways, I didn't mean to derail you oh, down no, that Abby. Was all, how far we've come. In terms of... Well, I'm just, now I'm just thinking about in terms of like delivering a baby. Like, my God, how scary. I know. And we have a pretty high mortality rate, I hear. Um, By the way, I don't know if we ever talked about the earthquake oh we didn't you know i fully slept through it it was like a four point something right that one yeah 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 i fully i could not have been woken from my like coma which is funny because you did say like you have the alert system of like a new mother when i'm awake but when you're sleeping you're rolling on the baby (laughs) mommy's little helpers get me through the night that's all i'll say about that (laughs) you mean benadryl (laughs) exactly Well, I am curious what you think this means. Okay. Because I, so the the earthquake was at 2 a.m. Okay. Are we getting into like a numerology kind of assessment of what happened? Okay. But more like a precognitive question. Oh, okay. Because I have had precognitive dreams where like I dream something that then happens. Mm -hmm. A few of them. And it was definitely in the most, like when I was practicing the most hard K magic you know, and they say that happens. It's like the first in Buddhism, it's called cities, S-I-D-D-H-I. Mm-hmm. The first like powers you have as just like a side effect of meditating more is precognition and like psychic experiences. Uh-huh. Anyway, I don't have them as much anymore because I've really fallen off my hard K magic journey. But it's always waiting for me. Anyway, yeah. what I'm trying to say is earthquake was at like 2 a.m. on the dot. And I woke up in the middle of the night at about 1.57. Okay. And I was just like, why am I awake? I guess I'm thirsty. You know what I mean? And I like reached for some water and laid back and just like looked up at my ceiling. And then the earthquake started. Wild. I was literally like, I woke up for the earthquake. That's crazy. You see, especially when like natural, like sort of like either geological or like certain weather events start happening, you see animals and nature start to respond before it happens. So I mean, maybe you were dialed into that same wavelength of like whatever they're dialing into. Right. I mean, my subconscious was just like, we already know this is 
is about to happen. That's or crazy. We already know this, you know, is happening. And because it probably, I mean, I don't know how long it takes for it to travel, but I was like, ooh, psychic. Was that your but, first earthquake in LA no. to experience? No, actually. I think it was my second or third. They're always a thing. And so that prompted me to text my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Just to let and, her know that you were okay preemptively. And tell her that I'm ready for her to purchase me an earthquake preparedness kit. <laughs> Amazing. Because I know, like, she'll jump, you know what I mean? Like, if I tell her, like, to buy me, like, mace or, like, anything safety related, she's going to jump at that opportunity. Yeah. I actually did that several years ago before the pandemic, but it was more so because of the wildfires that were happening and just built really big Rubbermaid Tupperware, not sponsored, go boxes that have you know, months of canned food, months of dried food, like really sort of like mini prepper level vibes, but also with handheld radios, like CB communication radios, because you know, there's not going to be phone lines. You DIY'd it. I guess mine are a little more all purpose, like wildfire, or if the big one happens, not a bad idea. Mine is all purpose. Yeah, no, now I have, I have a backpack now Mm -hmm. with water bottles, water tablets, um, you know, for cleaning the water, uh, an emergency tent one of those like aluminum blankets though now i guess it wouldn't be a bad idea to also have iodine tablets for the water because exactly you know, the doomsday clock is the closest to midnight now since oh it was formed. my god we heard about so and this is all because of escalation in ukraine and Russia, escalation right? with the war um but also i think with this time it was also there was some kind of coupling there with sort of like runaway greenhouse gases and how it's we're really rapidly approaching that point where not much is going to be able to be done about it anymore. But I thought that the ozone layer was healing itself. It goes through cycles, but really all it would take is like a really strong solar storm pointed right at Earth to just really make a mess of the ozone layer. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you're just reminding me. I was reading the Scientific American mm-hmm. and they were talking about like how scared should we be of solar storms? I didn't read the whole article, so I can't tell you. <laughs> But I also, okay, did you hear, and this is coming from like a conversation I had on the phone with my dad yesterday. And like, listen, he emailed me. This is very like what we were talking about last week. He emails me an article, a link to an article on MSN.com, which is like. (laughs) That still exists? Literally everyone's thought right now. Wild. Some people are just living in. 2004 you know what bliss and anyways he sent me some link to I, I don't even know what it was but it was it was interesting it was it was science related quantum physics related he's getting uh-huh. the idea but on the phone with him prior to the email he sent me he was telling me about and I don't know if this is true again like I'm just repeating what my dad told me. I don't sure. I don't read a ton of current events news. I mean, you can really uh cut yourself essentially like reading the the news, at least for me. Anyway, and he said that apparently there are some like submarine missiles, warheads, torpedoes. I feel like torpedo is an out of date term. You mean like nuclear capable <laughs> yeah, submarines? Pointed at the UK and pointed at the US from, from Russia. Russia. Yikes. And they're just like waiting on ready, sitting on ready, basically. If if we help out, like if we, you know what I mean, continue to help Ukraine in the war, they will essentially destroy Great Britain. Wow. They and they say that they could, they could actually like completely with like just this one missile aimed at underneath great britain like they could I mean, yeah, the, the entire the title thing. the tidal wave that it would create would be yes that's what it was it was about the biblical. tsunami that it would create yeah wow and i was just like whoa 
Oh my God, that's hot. That's scary. Doomsday clock just moved another second toward midnight. She do be ticking. I mean, and it's just so wild because, like, in the meantime, we just go on. But I mean, isn't that what people content. have done? Throughout history, I mean, yeah. not with making content, but like you know, throughout history, throughout like the beginning of World War One, World War Two, it's like yeah, there were active wars happening, but people still had to get up in the morning and go to their jobs and yeah. raise their kids and do all the things that they would have to do otherwise. It's really it's it's a strange dichotomy. It is strange. On a little lighter note, still yes. the end of the world though. Have you been watching? Yeah. <laughs> have you been watching The Last of Us? Okay, so I've only seen the first two episodes. Okay, but you get the gist. You know sort of like at least what's happening. Yeah. Okay, so hang on to that idea of The Last of Us because it's not irrelevant. But right now, it's time for... Big If True. true. I'm going to start since I already set this one up. This doesn't necessarily spell the end like The Last of Us, but it really made me think of it when I was reading. Headline reads, Dangerous fungal illness rapidly spreading across country, doctors warn. My eyes are rolling into Antarctica. Wait, it makes me feel. (laughs) It makes me feel two things. It makes me feel like the original sort of like awaiting peer review preprint papers that I was reading on the forefront of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it also makes me think of what's happening in The Last of Us. Of course. Okay. But babe, I saw this article and I thought to myself, both of those things, but they're not separate. Knowing how, this is going to sound so fucked up, but knowing, there's a way for me to say this in a not fucked up way, actually. Knowing how profitable fear is and knowing how successful and relevant The Last of Us is, why wouldn't you publish that article. You know how many people are going to click on it? The story comes to us from Chris Oberholtz writing for Yahoo News. We love. It was, it was syndicated. It wasn't only for Yahoo News. It was a an AP wire service. Love it. Doctors in San Francisco are warning of a dangerous fungal illness rapidly spreading across the country, especially affecting people who are living or visiting California or Arizona. Okay. And where does it come from? It's called Valley Fever. That's sort okay. of like the, the street name of this illness, but the, the medical term for it is called coccidiomycosis. It's a significant cause of pneumonia, said Dr. Brad Perkins, who's the chief medical officer at Carius, which is a company that provides advanced diagnostics for infectious diseases. So their whole purpose is sort of like surveying what illnesses they're seeing pop up, especially when it happens in groups, and trying to identify like, uh, is this about to be a thing we should be worried about? It's also worth noting, Dr. Perkins, who's sort of like raising the alarm bells on this, is a former Centers for Disease control and prevention official who led the anthrax bioterrorism investigation so if you remember that that was like that was hot real fear that i think probably a lot of us grew up with especially when like you know you that had you're people gonna sending open a like, letter with anthrax in it yeah well especially when you had people like pulling the hoax of just like sending envelopes full of baby powder to people you know it was sort of like a, a ubiquitous yeah. thing there for a little right. while he said and quoting him here most causes of pneumonia are caused by bacteria what we're seeing here is a fungus that lives in the soil and is breathed in when people are in dusty situations, whether it's caused by a dust storm or if they're around a construction site or excavation or things like that. And the thing to know about it that's kind of like kind of scary, it shares a lot of the same symptoms as COVID-19. And Perkins said that people concerned about obviously the risk of developing valley fever should try to avoid dusty situations, mostly in the summer and when it's really, really hot outside because obviously more dust is going to be generated. And also, I guess it goes without saying, like, go see your doctor if you start feeling ill 
ill or at least do a COVID test, you know, type thing to rule out mm. that it is or is not COVID. But like immediately I was like, wait, I did not have The Last of Us being real on my bingo card. <laughs> I mean, I just, okay, big if true. Yes. But. I can see you're having thoughts. I'm just so like, I don't know. When it comes to these like airborne illnesses, what you gonna do? They're in the air. Like wear a mask. I guess. I mean, listen, Brett and I come from two very different schools. <laughs> Brett is a hardcore masker. And Listen, I'm just a moderate masker. I'm still Novid, and I would love to keep it that way. I started masking literally the day I read the first preprint paper on COVID. Like, had not been peer-reviewed yet. It was just sort of like, mm, we're starting to see this might be a thing. I was wearing a mask on that day. And I'm more like, I will go down with this ship. Well, you and Dido can continue that way. Isn't that Dido? Doesn't she say yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not like I'm trying to get anything. I'm just like, you can only prevent so much. And sometimes it's not the more you know. Sometimes the less you know. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. I agree with that to a point. Um, all right. I love that. Thanks, Fauci. <laughs> yeah, that's my first one. You're up. Okay. My big if true comes from good old James Jimmy Webb. Oh, okay. Jimbo Webb. And if you don't remember who Jimbo Webb is, he what is... What has he seen this time? That beautiful telescope out... 24 karat gold plated... 24... Size of an elephant. Is that really how big he is? Yeah, it's the size of a full-grown African elephant. Wow. And um, this comes from mm, our good old friend, Scientific American, and what was published just last week. Off to a great start already. So you may not know that from July 2022, so last year, until Mm -hmm. June 2023 of this year, we're basically in what's called cycle one of the James Webb Telescope's mission. Mm -hmm. One quarter of cycle one is being devoted to exoplanet research. Okay. So, you know, they're doing tons of things. They're looking at so many different things, but one of the things they're looking at is exoplanets, which as we've discussed, you know, in the past is any planet that is outside of our solar system. Right. And there's 75 different like pro research programs that are doing studies on exoplanets connected to James Webb. So we know that James Webb Telescope is capable of producing these unbelievable images like hubble could never hubble could never hubble has its own sort of like set of technical specifications yeah it's an apple and an orange but like relatively hubble could never hubble spent 10 years basically detecting water which was found abundantly but they didn't really find much else james webb on the other hand can see water but can also see a much wider array of molecules carbon dioxide sodium, and it can even detect compounds like methane, which are closely associated with the metabolic processes in the Earth's biosphere, making them biosignatures. I'm thinking SETI. Yes, that can help reveal life's presence on other potentially habitable worlds. Okay. So at the American Astronomical Society meeting in Seattle, AAS, ass. That's America's ass. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Astronomers announced spectroscopy results which you actually yeah which you you don't you you can eat before that (laughs) 
from Jimmy Webb. Okay, and and this time the telescope. I'm on the edge stud- of my seat here. The telescope was studying an Earth-sized world called LHS. 475b, which orbits a red dwarf star 41 light years away from Earth. Okay. And the James Webb Telescope confirmed the existence of this planet, which had been previously hinted at in the, like, survey satellite that NASA had put out. Sure. But basically, they confirmed the existence of this planet by observing it with Jimmy Webb. Directly. Wow. Directly. And it's, like, so cool. And so they observed two orbits of this planet around its star. They're going to do additional, you know, exploration. But so far, the team watching this exoplanet and observing this exoplanet has a lot to say about what the atmosphere is not like. You know, they know it's not hydrogen dominated like Jupiter or like Saturn. They think it probably does not have an Earth-like atmosphere, but a carbon dioxide atmosphere like Venus or Mars. Okay. Or it could have no atmosphere like Mercury, but they think this could help them study other rocky planets that are orbiting red dwarf stars, which make up about 75% of all stars in the Milky Way are red dwarfs. And these are the beginning stages of measuring atmospheres for rocky planets and trying to figure out like if a planet can be habitable. And one of the red dwarf stars that is interesting to them as well is called Trappist-1, which is 40 light years away from earth has seven earth sized worlds like imagine this like other solar system with like seven earth sized planets and part of the problem in the past before james webb telescope is that we actually couldn't like observe like earth is basically relatively small Mm -hmm. and so we could only see like planets that were like bigger than jupiter because otherwise the brightness of these red dwarf stars and the brightness of the stars is just the glare is way too strong and makes sense isn't that like it's like staring directly at the sun like you're not going to be able to see you're not going to see the stars in the constellations because the sun is drowning them out effectively exactly Exactly. So they're hoping that the, by the end of cycle one, they'll be able to reveal whether one of those seven planets around that red dwarf could be habitable because they're in the habitable zone where, you know, they're warm mm-hmm. enough. They're not, not too, too cold. Hot, not, not too cold, too cold. just right. And anyways, so this is like just pretty cool to me. They say this is the beginning of the journey. Jimmy Webb and this like, research into exoplanets it's just at its beginning stages and it's really exciting but basically right the cycle one they say is all about picking the low-hanging fruit Mm. and then in the next few cycles things are really going to take off and they're going to start doing like deep research but it's just like okay what is all of the information we can gather from just observation you know wow that's cool yeah so that's my big if true like i mean it sounds pretty true it'll be big if you know we discover it's just crazy that like we know stuff is there, but it's just so goddamn far away that we yeah. can't probe it the way that we need to. And then I guess sort of like once they arrive at the conclusion, I guess potentially that one of these exoplanets is habitable and has a, an atmosphere that's sort of, I guess, comparable to what we have here on Earth. Then I guess really the only problem is an engineering one of figuring out how we can physically get there. Because right now we don't have any method of transportation that would take us quickly enough to make that 40, 41 light year distance mean anything meaningful i guess because we don't have a quick enough way to get there let alone get there like as we saw in the most recent chapters of three body problem like it takes years to just send a message Mm -hmm. not even send a person send a radio transmission it would take what 40 years just information yeah just to send a message to that planet so nuts but i have faith you know something something 
is we're on the cusp of some major discoveries with quantum physics and i kind of agree i feel like we're either on the cusp of really making some major advances or the matrix is going to just glitch to the point where we're reset and we forget that we were making progress in the first place yeah no i agree because yes this is what brings me to my next big if true hit us headline reads more and more physicists are starting to think space and time are illusions obsessed with that obsessed with that and it all revolves around the idea of quantum entanglement the story says a concept called quantum entanglement suggests that the fabric of the universe is more interconnected than we think and it also suggests that we have the wrong idea about reality. Okay, go on. It comes from Heinrich Paas, and I might be mispronouncing his name, so I apologize if you're listening and you hear this, but he's writing for the Daily Beast. And he says, entanglement implies that the universe is monistic. And this is a term that he uses and describes it as philosophers call the universe monistic. It means that on the most fundamental level in the universe, everything is part of a single unified whole, which kind Kind of also reminded me of what Bruce Rout was telling us about with the group of scientists working towards what's called a unified field theory. Also kind of like string theory at its base where like when you yeah. get small enough, smaller than the Planck length even, it's just a sea of vibrating strings all interconnected that make up the reality that we see in front of us on the macro. Mm -hmm. Okay, so on this idea of quantum entanglement and the universe being monistic as philosophers call it, that basically on the most fundamental level, there are no single objects but there is this unifying force called the one that gives rise to basically every particle that we know super spiritual super spiritual the author of this story gives the example if your neighbor told you that they had two cats one cat that was alive and one cat that was dead this would imply that either the first cat or the second one is dead and that whichever other cat is not dead must be the cat that's alive right right makes sense okay totally in this illustration we're using cats but we're talking about particles that are quantum entangled for the record okay here's where it's going to get a little weird and i'm going to do my best to walk us through it but it is crazy in the quantum world as it relates to quantum mechanics the very same statement i have one cat that is alive and one cat that is dead implies that these two cats or in this case two particles are merged in a superposition including where the first cat is alive and the second cat is dead and where the first cat is dead and the second cat is alive but that's not it there are also possibilities in the quantum world with these cat particles where the first cat is half alive and half dead and the other cat particle is half dead half alive so that when you combine them together you have a total of one equaling alive and a total right. of one equaling dead trippy but there are other possibilities where the first cat particle is one third alive and two thirds dead and the second cat particle is one third dead and two thirds alive so basically what these scientists are saying is that in the quantum universe, it's not as black and white and bold-faced as what we would say as this thing is this way and this other thing is the opposite way. Because when you right. get down to the quantum size, all of these particles are coming into and going out of existence at such infinitesimally quick rates. And especially when particles are entangled 
on the quantum scale, any number of possibility can be taking place, not just how we observe a thing to be in the macro world. He goes on to say that as it relates to Einstein's theory of general relativity, space is not in a static stage anymore. Rather, it's sourced by matter's masses and energy. Right. So matter, mass, energy Mm -hmm. equals space that we see in front of us. Right. Like if there were no planets... There would be no space almost. Like we think that space predates objects, but in fact, it's like objects create space. It's very chicken and egg in that it's way. It's insane. Yeah, go on. So, and this guy, we talked about him one week when we were actually in the episode playing the three-body VR game, but oh. much like much like German philosopher Gottfried Leibniz, of course. Remember him? His view was much the same, and it describes according to quantum monism, it is on the quantum scale, quote unquote, the one, this like one single unifying field of everything that itself gives rise to space time and matter itself damn okay so at the end of it our understanding of space time and matter isn't wrong but it is incomplete and there is so much more there to be explored it really feels like we are on the doorstep of walking into the library of alexandria of knowledge that we didn't know that we didn't know what a time to be alive you guys and for more like this you can read heinrich pa's book called the one how an ancient idea holds the future of physics and that is my second big of true space and time as we understand them might just be illusions that are dictated by the quantum level interesting that's fun that's a fun little um meltdown what a way to kick off this week i know seriously it's a big week we've got a lot of news this week we've got a lot of big if trues and honestly i think it's because we're just making up for the fact that we're about to dive into in my opinion my least favorite chapter of this book and i say that not to mean nothing happens there's a lot of good backstory i guess if you're you know it's also important to know i don't think there's any one character in this entire book series that can be fully classified as quote a bad guy or quote a good guy and this chapter really is just sort of Xixin Lu's attempt, I think, at showing us more of the humanity side to Ye Wenji, because also to this point, with our most recent revelations about her, we're kind of seeing her in a different light. And I mean, I even said last week, I'm kind of thinking I jumped to the wrong conclusion of thinking that I was ride or die for her, because I'm like, I don't know that I really support her that much. This week kind of gives a little more backstory and makes my assumptions about her, I think, even more murky. So we'll we'll get into that. We sure will. So without any further ado... Start, two, one, booster ignition, and liftoff of the space You're listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast reviewing our way through the three-body problem and discussing its real-life parallels. I'm Allie. I'm Brett, and this week, Ye Wenji tracks down the Red Guards who killed her father. Not for revenge, believe it or not, but when she finds them, will they apologize? Spoiler alert, this week's chapter is titled No One Repents, so stay tuned. Energy unit reporting. All systems go. Cutting unit reporting. All systems go. Amplifier unit reporting. All systems go. Interference monitor unit reporting. Within acceptable range. Begin transmission.
this week, I have to say, I hope, at least for a little while, is our last little foray into the past. Yeah. I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready for the future and to keep moving forward. But not yet. This week's chapter is called No One Repents. Mm. We talked about it last week, but the deaths of Lei Zhicheng and Yang Wenning were kind of the perfect crime for Ye Wenji. She cut the rope just so, so that it looked like they were just climbing on a faulty rope that had snapped. And back at the base, when the investigators started doing their thing, really nobody asked any questions and ultimately nobody suspected Ye Wenji of being behind it. But aside from staffing issues, life goes on back to normal. Uh, We were just saying. One day on the base, Ye gets a call to come to the gatehouse. And when she gets there, three teenagers are standing outside the gate. And they're dressed in like hand-me-down kind of clothes. Like the clothes are kind of ratty. They're all bundled up in furs to keep warm. And we learn through the narrator that these teenagers are from one of the neighboring villages at the base of the mountain. And they basically left their village, hiked all the way up to the top of Radar Peak, holding their textbooks so that they could approach the great Ye Wenji, the scientist, to ask her some questions that relate to their studies in science. And so Ye answers their questions, and they go about their way, and then the next day, she gets a call. Ye, can you come to the gatehouse? And she gets there, and there's more visitors at the gate. This time, seven teenagers, all of them books in hand, questions at the ready. She answers their questions, they go about their way. And the next Resourceful. day, another phone call. She goes to the gatehouse. This time it's 15 teenagers and their teacher. Cute. So this kind of starts a trend for Ye. Every few days, she finds herself tutoring local kids from neighboring villages on the base of the mountain. And it turns into such a thing that so many people are showing up that the gatehouse can't actually accommodate all of them. So she has to get permission from the base to basically set up like a school inside the cafeteria with a blackboard. So she can just be basically going over every question. And she's just getting all these teenagers ready to take the National College entrance exam. Through these lessons, Ye Wenji becomes such a treasure to these people by answering their questions and tutoring these children that one night it's freezing cold. It's Lunar New Year's Eve in 1980. Somebody knocks at Ye Wenji's door and she walks over and she opens it up and peeks out and she discovers that some of the local children made the trek all the way up to bring her this large simmering pot of fermented cabbage and piping hot dumplings. Oh, I'm starving. (laughs) Same, but also like they really love her. They're like very appreciative because it's like it's better than having a teacher it's having an actual expert help your children prepare for like a future that they wouldn't have been able to have not two years before so at this point the year is 1980 Ye wenji goes into labor and it's not exactly easy for her like her doctors basically told her they wouldn't be able to accommodate her giving birth ultimately like the baby is breached so mm-hmm. the base mm-hmm. is not really able to assist in the birthing process so they basically for Ye wenji and the baby's safety arrange to send her to a hospital in the nearest local town at the hospital during the birthing process Ye lost so much blood to the point uh- that she slips into a coma oh my god we were just talking about this and while she's out she has this fever dream where she sees three suns just swirling around her and like singeing and scorching her body for all of eternity for the betrayal of her husband for the betrayal of the human species and like Mm. it's it's kind of such a bad trip for her that while she is technically still conscious while she's seeing these suns flying around her and burn her she doesn't actually know yet if she's given birth because she says something in the chapter like for all she knows she is dead and her baby has been taken from her and they're both existing separately in hell shit 
So these hallucinations eventually fade. And as the heat of these three suns just starts to grow less and less and less and normal temperatures return to Ye Wenji's body, she opens her eyes and she sees the newborn face of baby Yang Dong. And it's crazy because also she, at this point in her life, doesn't even know about the three bodies. Like the three body problem has, you know what I mean? She's received this communication, but right. it's almost precognitive you might say prophetic even prophetic so anyway yeah she wakes up so she comes to her baby's like swaddled in a, in a little bassinet beside her hospital bed and the attending doctor is like yay you lost so much blood like we didn't know that you were gonna make it this is kind of a miracle and she's like well how did how am i here then and the doctor's like well you should know because it's important neighboring villagers came to the hospital specifically so they could donate blood to this scientist Ye wenji from radar peak i'm crying a lot of them were parents of kids that she had been tutoring but she found out that a, actually a really high percentage of the people who came that donated blood were actual total strangers to her. So Ye Wenji recovers. She has this horrific experience behind her and things just kind of from this point continue to deteriorate. She leaves the hospital and goes back to the base and her health just keeps slipping. Like honestly, ever since she gave birth, she's on this like downhill slide of having her health together. And when she's back at the base, she's not able to stay and care for Yang Dong appropriately by herself because everybody else has their jobs to do. And by a miracle one day, she gets a visitor to the gatehouse and it's an old couple from a nearby village and they've come up the hill to explain to the guards that they basically are here today to provide Ye Wenji and the new baby shelter and to help her raise this baby and to give her the aid that she needs that she's not able to get at the base. So they talk about it among themselves. They're like, can we do this? Can she come back when she's healthy, when the baby's grown a little bit, like da-da-da. And they're like, okay, yeah, great, you can do this. So they load up her things. Ye and baby Yang Dong set off to a nearby village, and they move in with new character alert. <laughs> no! <laughs> I'm just kidding, who? Hunter Chi and his family. Okay, sweet. I'm kind of hoping at this point, I'm like, okay, listen, all of these villagers just came forward to basically, for free, save your life. I'm kind of hoping that, like, she can find the goodness in humanity, you know, that, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, like, in my opinion, it's what she should be fighting for, not against, but, like, she obviously has her own motivations to just, like, want to see it all burn down. I get that. No shade to her, but it's, like, up until this point, she's worked so hard to keep everybody out and, like, Finally, for once, when she's like actually vulnerable, people just show up and they like really go to bat for her and like it actually keeps her alive. So I'm like, I hope she sees that and doesn't just yeah. like ignore right. it. Right. At this point, in the village, six months go by of Ye and baby Yang Dong living with Hunter Chi and his family. Even with support, it's a hard time for Ye Wenji because her health has been declining and baby Yang Dong is a growing newborn baby. Ye Wenji's not able to breastfeed her. In her entire life, during these six months at Hunter Chi's house, this is the absolute physically weakest Ye Wenji has ever been. And that's including when she was like in a coma and like near death in a jail cell after the Cultural Revolution. She is just Damn. like a broken shell of herself. But by luck, one of Hunter's daughters-in-law had recently given birth, so she offers to help Ye 
with the wet nursing. Clutch. Ye is in this time of her life where, like, no matter which way she turns, she has community showing up for her. Aww. And the community that she experiences is really unlike anything she's ever felt in her life. Other nursing women start to come by the house to help feed baby Yang Dong to give this daughter-in-law a break. Oh, my God. And eventually, Hunter Chi's home becomes the central meeting place of all the village's women. All of them just basically, like... As soon as they have free time, they just come over to Hunter Chi's house. They hang out with Ye Wenji. They smoke tobacco. They're like girling out and just like Cute. vibing, basically. Yeah, it's like super sweet. And thinking back onto the months in the village, probably the most personal of these memories are the frequent nights that Ye would spend with Feng who we learn is the name of Hunter's daughter-in-law who's been helping Ye nurse baby Yang Dong. Got it. I'm going to be really pissed if these characters never come back and that we just I know. learned all of this for nothing. I mean, I hate, <laughs> I hate to set it up this way, but I really think this chapter might really just be a reprieve from all the action to remind us that she's a person. Humanity is good and these are right. like real people. Right. Right. This is kind of the perfect foil to learning about her talking about really kind of how cold-bloodedly she decided to murder both her best friend and not care about the fact that her husband was going to be a, an inadvertent casualty of this plan. Hmm. Interesting. I feel like Xi Lu wrote this chapter last. <laughs> it was like He might have. His publisher might have really been like, you know what? We need a moment you before we missing? get back. Put yeah. something here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she has her baby, but like, was you know, that's a perfect opportunity to show like the goodness of humanity. And it's like, okay, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like what that. else happened? Yeah. So with Fang, who's helping Ye raise Yang Dong by breastfeeding her, they end every night together in the same part of the house. Ye would just sort of read by lamplight and fang would be working on needlepoint doing these impossibly tiny little intricate details of needlepoint stitching on shoes on jackets on things like that just to beautify all the surroundings and honestly to ye wenji and and to me reading it these moments are bucolic as fuck like they are so nice they are so like the beauty of being in the countryside and it's like the full antithesis of everything we've seen so far of like cold hard technology military it's just like the most beautiful soft little moment and this one night while Ye is reading she notices Fang doing her needle pointing thing and when Fang realizes that she's being watched she starts putting out some for her anyway some pretty big existential questions she looks over at Ye Wenji and she says sister why don't the stars fall from the sky Ye's like Fang you're afraid of the stars falling and Fang's like no I'm not like I'm not afraid I mean they're so tiny, like, lol, dumb, dumb question. I shouldn't have even asked. Like, I'm not afraid they're going to fall. And Ye decides to give her a real answer, one she's going to understand, not one from her position of being a scientist. And she's like, Fang, the stars are so far away. They're not going to fall on us. Just, like, put it out of your mind. Be at ease. And satisfied with the answer, Fang goes back to her needlepoint. But in this moment, Ye is fucked up because internally, Ye is experiencing feelings that she hasn't really dealt with up until this point. Love. She's been pretty good about keeping her guard up and keeping other people out and keeping her own sort of, like, emotional aura protected. But not this time. She puts her book down and she lies down on the bed to try to get comfortable. And lying there, she imagines the entire of the universe just fading away in this imaginary version of the universe that Ye Wenji is conjuring. Mm-hmm. All that exists is this tiny cottage in a village where for reasons nobody knows, 
strangers just decided to make a home for Ye Wenji and make her part of their families. In this representation, she sees it's full of mountains that look just like the greater Kingons, and she notices above it a dome appears, and it's dotted with millions and millions of points of light. At this moment, Ye Wenji shrinks herself down to the size of everything that she's imagining in the world before her. Mm-hmm. And placing herself in this snow globe world, it's the first time that Ye feels peace, and she finally drifts off to sleep. The narrator says at this point that in this tiny village near the base of Radar Peak, surrounded by community and cared for by a new family, something in Ye's heart melted. The book says it best, and I'm just quoting it directly here. In the frozen tundra of Ye Wenji's soul, a tiny, clear lake of meltwater appeared. Oh, that melts my heart. She's a new woman. She's like, what are these feelings? That's making her uncomfortable. She's like freaking out by it. But I'm like, yay, Wenji, this is love. That melts my heart to stone. And I hear the words that I made up. You say my name like that. Anyway, wow. That was a long, beautiful half of a chapter, Brett. It was, it was, it was just a beautiful bucolic. But so boring. I'm sorry. Boring. It's so, it's so boring. <laughs> it's so nice. It's so beautiful. I'm happy for her that all that happened. But also snore. <laughs> but no. All right. So let's, let's just kick it. Let's get to the end of this chapter, you guys. Does it get better? I think it gets a little like, does, like more, it's, it picks up. Does drama happen in your half? I hope at least. Yes. Yes, it does pick up. You know, Ye finishes up her little maternity leave in the village outside of the Kingon Mountains and returns mm-hmm. to Red Coast Base with little Dong Dong, Yang Dong, who she calls mm-hmm. Dong Dong. And two years pass, and it's just a pendulum of anxiety and peace. But, you know, overall, all is well. You know, Dong Dong lives at Radar Peak. Her mom works. Good stuff. Life is good. Life is good. Then one day, Ye Wenji receives a notice that she and her father have been politically rehabilitated. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And soon after that, a letter from Tsinghua University invites her to come return to teaching. Okay, nice. And they also give her a sum of money. Damn, okay. It's it's back pay owed to her father after his rehabilitation, her late father. So it's like this post-mortem sort of rehabilitation. And everyone at the base starts calling her comrade. Finally. Of course, Ye Wenji doesn't give a fuck. She's never excited about this. Shows no happiness. She's just like, it's really an empty gesture in her opinion. I mean, Mm -hmm. they killed her dad. And she really has no interest in being in the outside world. You know, she only wants to be at Red Coast Base. But for the sake of little Dong Dong, she leaves the base that she thought she would be at the rest of her life. And she does Hmm. return to Tsinghua University, her alma mater. All right. And she basically enters an entirely new China. I mean, it's the 80s. They're letting anybody take the test to go to college now. So, I mean, I, I just imagine what else they've done. Cultural revolution is like really over. Everything is in ruins. But like a dawn of new life is very evident. Bookstores are selling these like literary works 
groups that used to be, you know, considered useless and okay. reactionary. Science becomes super paramount again. Technological innovation is a huge focus in factories instead of like, you know, just manufacturing like propaganda. And scientific research is like once again deified and just like held up to be one of the most important investments that society can make. Love and that. They, they view science and technology as like the key to opening up the future. And everyone just has this like renewed faith and like earnestness. And the president of the Chinese Society Academy announces that this is the season of the rebirth for China's battered scientific establishment. And Ye Wenji really wonders like, wow, is it, are we really at the end of madness? You know, like is rash Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Is rationality back? Like is rationality the new... The new black. Gay never receives another communication from Trisolaris ever again. And she knows that makes sense because she would have to wait at least eight years to hear back from them after mm -hmm. her message. Right. So she has no way of receiving. And and now that she's left Red Coast Base, she has no way of receiving any extraterrestrial communication. Oh, anyway. right. She'd have to be there. Right. So her life just passes in peace. She teaches. She grows strong. And everything that happened at Red Coast Base begins to kind of feel like a dream. You know, like, you know, when just like things fade into the past and you kind of wonder like, damn, like I remember this happening, but it, it's so but crazy. Did it really? yeah. yeah. And she just like feels like it was all unreal. Like the communications with the, the extraterrestrials, the sun amplifying the radio signals, her betrayal of the human race and like killing two people. I mean, did that really happen? And, and it kind of like brings up feelings once again, because like, like you said, a little lake has melted in her heart, but she just tries to like numb herself with work. Work, 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 work. And one day after work, she decides to take Dong Dong to visit her grandmother, Shaolin. Oh, boy. Now, you may have forgotten, so let me remind you from chapter one. This is episode one material. Shaolin is the wife of Ye Wenji's late father. And remember yes. how she basically caught wind of the changing political tides and started to change her curriculum and essentially like threw her own husband under the bus. And even though the very reason she went into science was because of, you know, that Einstein story about Einstein coming to town and her dad, mm -hmm. the impression that Einstein had on her dad and how that story was even actually kind of a lie, but whatever. That's just to jog your memory. Well, after Ye Wenji's father was killed, Shaolin recovers from her mental breakdown and finds ways to survive. You know, all of her bootlicking essentially pays off. Like, no shade to bootlickers. It's really hard to be a hero when you're living in a totalitarian regime, you know? Yeah. I was really thinking, like, it, we are kind of lucky to be in a America like America sucks and we always say this like horribly corrupt and racist but I was just like you know we're still afforded advantages that don't exist in many many parts of the world free freedom of speech being like number one mm -hmm. there's a translator's note that says basically back in the initial phases of the cultural revolution colleges high schools and middle schools and elementary schools were all just like you know told to like be done with class and everyone just like uh -huh. left school and older students became Red Guards. But in 1967, there was this return to school movement. And around that time, because Shaolin had been saying all the right things, right, she was able to return to teaching uh, okay. under the new regime. And then Shaolin did something 
no one expected. She married a persecuted education minister. Like he was blacklisted essentially. So she's like, I did this one time. I'm just going to do it again. That feels irresponsible. Well, no, remember she's quite, she's a little psychic. You know, she kind of knew that things would change, that the chaos and the violence could not last. And so she took a chance and it paid off in her Yeah, favor. she knew like these young rebels that are like out of control don't know how to run a country. And like at a certain point, these met people who have basically been pariahed and mm-hmm. shipped off to what are called cow sheds, which were basically like work camps for blacklisted individuals. She knew they'd come back into society and, and return to some sort of authority. And it really does pay off because by the end of the Cultural Revolution, her husband is partially restored to his old position and soon promoted to deputy minister during this reform when Deng Xiaoping becomes the leader of China. Work. They don't really say that, but there's like a translator's note that references it. Anyways, intellectuals are back. It's in. It's cool to be smart. It's cool to have opinions. It's cool to like read again. And guess what? Shaolin herself is promoted to vice president of a, of a famous university. Not Tsinghua, but another one. So when Ye goes to visit her mother, you might be thinking like, well, what is her mom like? You know, what do you think Shaolin? I mean, who vibe knows? Is? It's been it's been so long since she saw her. I mean, like I'm just kind of like shocked that she. If I'm Ye Wenshi, I don't even know that I'd make the attempt to go. Do you know what I mean? I know, I know. But you know, she's like she wants Dong Dong to have a grandmother. Yeah, true. She's motivated bigger than and there's herself. like that curiosity. You know, like I I still want to like go hang out with like my exes just to like see you who they are now really i just want to see who they are Mm. it's a morbid curiosity you could say but so i guess you know yay when she goes like being like who who is she and it's interesting because shaolin has no trace of like trauma and no trace of persecution like there's no hint of suffering her mother is like extremely strong and she welcomes yay when like as if nothing has ever happened as if no time has passed do you think it's electroshock therapy or lithium just a really really powerful pill called denial yeah and she opens her arms to dong dong and hugs her and is like oh what a cutie you know just like wastes no time like picks right up as like just grandmother to dong dong and begins to cook all of ye wenji's favorite foods and you know by all virtual measures a really warm reunion but internally until yeah i'm like but yay when g can sense this very real invisible wall between her and her mother hmm. because she can just tell they never mention yay's father ah there and we go that is the wall and i totally get that you know it's like i mean i have friends who have lost parents and you know with their surviving parent like some of them just like really never want to talk about when it's also it's not just losing a parent it's like watching the state oh yeah i mean beyond murder your parent trauma for for the both of them it's probably the most traumatic day of each of their lives that they'll ever experience and and you're right and it's really i mean it's very quintessential 20th century emotional coping you know it's just like very that don't talk about it we don't talk about bruno no 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 who knew that movie was about yeah repression Well, so they have dinner. It's it's a big, sweet reunion. And there's no mention of Ye's father. And after dinner, Shaolin and her new husband walk 
Ye Wenji and Yang Dong downstairs to say goodbye. And Shaolin hugs her and goes back upstairs. But the minister, Shaolin's new husband, he lingers. He says, you know, okay. I'll meet you back up there. And he asks if he could just have a word with Ye Wenji. His smile quickly turns cold. It's like he just can't wait to pull off this mask of like everything's great. No more Mr. Nice Guy. And he goes, listen, we're very happy to have you and the child come visit, but it is all under one condition. Just don't bring up the past. Your mother's not responsible for your dad's death, and she was a victim too, okay? Your father clung to his faith to an unhealthy degree, and he walked away from all of his responsibilities to you and your mother. So just know that those are the terms and conditions of Wow. And Ye's like, you have no right to speak of my father. That is between me and her. But And he's like, no, 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 no doubt. Like, it is between you and her. I'm just relaying her message. Damn. Yeah. And it's just like you realize, like, this whole facade of, like, everything is good is really exactly that. It's a facade. It's It's theater. It's theater, baby. And Ye looks up and she can see through the window her mother peeking through the blind. (gasps) Well, Ye Wenji takes Yang Dong that day and never goes back. Has no interest. Blame her. Yeah. Jeez. And then Ye begins a tireless hunt for information pertaining to the four female red guards who killed her father. Nice. And she manages to find three. She finds out that all three of them had been sent to the countryside where privileged educated youths were sent to live and learn from farmers. And this was like a real thing called rusticating youths. Okay. And it was like the sending of these former red guards down to the countryside to essentially restore order by removing the rebels from the cities that had gotten out of control, but also like under the guise of like teaching them to, you know, learn. Like putting them in the FFA. What's the FFA? Oh, did you ever have that in high school? It's the future farmers of America? No. Oh, wow. That's some southern ass shit. (laughs) Well, it's probably just like anywhere that grows anything. There's farms in New York. There's apples and things. There's a vineyard. (laughs) There's apples. I guess that's technically a farm. Yeah, you're right. And there's corn. There's a lot of corn. Oh, okay. See, I don't know. Well, anyway, yeah, they're they're sent down to learn some farm techniques and to, you Mm -hmm. know, basically just become less urban, less, you know, elite. So Ye Wenji manages to get their addresses and sends each of them a brief letter asking them to meet her at the exercise grounds where her father died oh. just to talk. And I'm like, sure. This sure, is about, sure, like, sure. right? She's already killed two men. Mm-hmm. Is she going to take revenge or does she really just want to talk? I mean, and I don't know, would you show up if you got this letter? I mean, without knowing that she's killed two people already, even still, probably not. Yeah. Just because I'm like, you know, not that those red guard members were excited or even like you know happy to be doing the killing during the struggle sessions you know they were i guess effectively just trying to like stay in the good graces of the ruling party and like keep their place in society secured but it's like mm, but they were teen and they i would were try really young and and i would try to dissociate away from that and just be like well but this is now so can we focus on now instead like i didn't i didn't have a choice i had to do that well Let's see what they have to say. Yeah. So Ye Wenji really alleges she does not want revenge. She really does just want to talk. She, okay. In fact, she feels like that morning at Red Coast Base when she sent out that transmission betraying the entire human race, that like that 
actually was revenge on like that was all the revenge she needed against everybody right oh okay including the red guards but she does want to see them repent she just wants to hear like now that she's re-entered this new china right she she wants to see if their humanity has somehow been restored Mm. now that the cultural revolution has ended they found their humanity while they were out like planting carrots and potatoes and do they have any remorse i would i would want to know for sure. So that afternoon, Ye waits for them on the exercise grounds where her father died, and she expects them not to show, you know? I mean, it's a pretty reasonable expectation, but yeah. at the time she specified for them to show up, all three of them show. And they actually come walking toward her in their faded green, like, in, in their military uniforms. Like, they're still wearing Still them. wearing them. They're super faded, and they fit very differently than they did, you know, 12 some odd years ago sure but they do it's kind of like you know when you see like military personnel in their camo Mm -hmm. and if you're like if you're showing up for anything related to like your service like you do show up in your uniform right so they show up in their uniforms and they're all older now they're in their 30s you know back then they were like maybe 17 18 and now they're all like 32 and they look different yay when g describes them as just not looking youthful at all. Mm. They once all kind of looked alike. You know, they they had this useful, like, full-bodied strength to them. And now they're very different. One of them is super thin. And her uniform hangs super loose on her body. And her, her back is sort of bent. And her hair has this yellowish tint. You know, grays coming in early. And she just looks, you know, old old for her age yeah worn down and then the other one is more thick framed has really like gained weight uniform can hardly be buttoned all the way her hair super messy she's got this like rude dark masculine face Mm. and just seems like very numb in her expression and then the third one looks moderately healthy like still has retained a bit of her youth but is very noticeably missing an arm. Oh. Yeah. And basically one of her sleeves is just completely empty. Wow. Okay. And the fat woman is like, what? I I picture her for some reason as having like a Russian accent. She's like, what did you think we'd not show up? Uh, and she's, that was Russian. I don't know. Or like, or like vaguely Slavic. Okay. But she's not, but I don't know. She's just like, she, she's giving like mistrunchable to me, like trying to be a little uh, like provocative. Her, yeah. She's like, what you thought we wouldn't show. And yay says, I think we should talk, get some closure. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's no such thing as closure, babe. But you know what? I get it. Yeah. It's, it's nice to touch base. It's been a while. And the thin wayfish woman is like the past is finished and behind us. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, isn't that all the closure you need? And Yay Wenji is like, no, I mean, like more spiritual closure. And so the fat woman is like, so what? You want to hear us apologize and repent? Like, is that what you want? And Yay is like, well, don't you think you should? And the one armed woman says, well, who's going to repent to us? Where's our apology? And Yay's like, apology for what? Yeah. And then they tell her, you know, basically what happened following that day and and what happened to the Red Guards and, and their version of events. And they say, you know, well, first of all, like, we were all just in high school when we were forced to sign up for the Red Guards. Like, they were all forced to sign this, like, big poster yeah. attached to Tsinghua University, enlisting them as Red Guards. And, and they were carried through every single milestone of the Red Guards from its birth to its death. 
Wow. And they were just like doing what they were told. But then at some point in 1968, Mm -hmm. there was, well, there were numerous phases of the Red Guards. There were these civil wars. There was like, there was a lot of like mass struggle within the Red Guards, you know, and a lot of, they had to go through a lot of, you know, reprogramming themselves. And then there was this famous civil war among the Red Guards called the Hundred Day War at at Tsinghua University. And it's the most violent civil war during the Cultural Revolution. It took place from April 23rd to July 27th. And there were like melee weapons, there were guns, there were grenades, there were mines, there were cannons, the full Monty. And only 18 people actually died, but 1,100 were wounded and Mm. more than 30 were permanently disabled. And Uh, the woman who lost her arm, she had thrown a grenade and then ended up getting her arm crushed by the treads of a tank. Oh. And she goes, I was 15 years old. Oh, man. You know, like, they really were kids. And they were just, they didn't know better. So then after that, they get sent to be rusticated. They get sent to the fucking wilderness. They say two of us were sent to Shanxi and the other two to Henan. And at first when we get there, we're super idealistic. You know, they're saying, we're thinking, okay, we're going to learn to work. You know, we're going to learn to work the fields and all that. But it didn't last. They were worked so hard in the field that Mm. they could hardly stand up to wash their clothes. And they were just completely forgotten in they slept in these straw huts and no one ever checked on them and everything that they were told mattered just sort of fell by the wayside there was no mm. more need for red guards it was like they really were just sent to be out of the way wow and their whole futures were just like completely destroyed yeah and they say like you know you'd pass by a comrade or even an enemy you know in these rustication villages and you'd both be covered in cow shit and just completely ragged and you just wouldn't say a single word to each other because it's just bleak right like there is no more community there is no more mission it's just like we did what we were told and now we're being punished for it and we're being completely just like ostracized from civilization who's going to apologize to us for that because that's wrong yeah and the thick set woman as ken lu says Uh, says that the girl who issued the final blow to your father with her belt actually drowned in the Yellow River because Uh. there was this flood that had like swept away some sheep and the party secretary called upon youths at the farm to help save the sheep. But all four people who jumped into the river died of either drowning or freezing. And Mm. she remembers seeing her body like dragged out of the Yellow River and just she begins to sob. It was super traumatic. Mm. And then when we return to the city after serving our time at these, you know, rustication farms, we come back to the city and we have nothing. We can't even get the worst job. No one wants to hire us. We have no experience, like, doing anything. And we have no job, no money, no future. So where's our apology? And Ye Wenji is speechless. You know, and it's kind of the case whenever you are mad at anyone or like have a bone to pick or or a or a grudge and you finally like talk it out. You realize like everyone thinks that they are the victim. Right. You know, everyone and everyone has good reason to think they're the victim. No one is purely evil except for a couple people. But (laughs) I was going to say I was like, "Mm, there's a 
I can name a few. Yeah. Well, anyway, Ye is still like just doesn't know what to say. And the one armed woman asks Ye like if she has seen this movie called Maple. Okay. And Ye is like, no. And the one armed woman says that it's a brilliant movie. And what happens is at the end, a mother and child are standing in front of the grave of a red guard who died in the 100 day war. And the child asks her mother she goes are they heroes and the mother says no are they enemies and the mother says no well then what are they and the mother says they're history And the one-armed woman is like, you hear that? We are nothing if not forgotten. Yeah. We are just past events with no significance whatsoever. Yeah. Like pawns in a chess game. Used. Yeah. And the three old guards leave Ye, and these words echo in her mind. And more than a dozen years ago, at this very location, Ye thinks back to watching her father die and and be killed by these women. Mm. And any doubt that she felt about calling upon foreign intervention you know because as you said that lake that had melted in her heart Mm -hmm. had you know kind of brought up these feelings that she was numbing out through like working and whatever kind of like the Grinch like her heart grew a couple of sizes but you know between her experience visiting her mother Mm -hmm. and not getting any sense of repentance from these three Yewenji is just like fully driven by a singular mission now and it solidifies as an ideal that will be unshakable for the rest of her life and that is to bring a superior civilization from somewhere (sighs) else in the universe into the human world oh it's over and that is the end of that chapter where no one repents Well, you know what? I, I'll take it back. Again, I think I've jumped to too quick of a conclusion. I didn't like just her time in the village. That's a good ending of this chapter. Yeah. So I take it back. Yeah. You know, I did enjoy like finding out what happened to the red guards and there was a little tension there yeah and i mean it's a different kind of it's a different kind of drama you know there's not like bombs going off and police squads running in and like you know disrupting secret meetings but i mean that's still very dramatic it kind of put a pit in my stomach where i'm like oh like that was the moment she's like fuck humanity fuck all this come here i will help you take over this world yeah she she i don't think she gives a fuck also about their suffering yeah i don't think she was moved by their pity party yeah yeah, sure. I think she was like, got it. So you have no remorse. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that is that not just life is like a fucking chain of hurt people, hurting people. Yeah. Well, you sound like a mega church right now. I know. <laughs> but like hurt people hurt. People. It's true. Um, but yeah, that's this week's chapter next week. You know what? Are you excited for next week? Because we're finally back to the point where you stopped reading when we decided to do a podcast. That's right. I began this chapter, but I don't even think I finished it. This last little bit of the book, I mean, we only have maybe like 10 or 12 little moments left in this book and no joke. It's like from here on out, it really feels like Cixin Liu is like, okay, I know where we're going to end in this story. So pedal to the metal, like hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times. That's right. Because we, it takes off, man. I'm so excited. Well, next week's chapter is titled Evans, who we've heard Mm. reference 
by just name. Just one time. Just one yeah. time in the cafeteria when the ETO is having their meeting. So we know that Evans is a member of the ETO, but who the hell is mm-hmm. Mike Evans? Our first American character. Yeah, all will be revealed. Very excited. Well, until then. In the meantime, if you see any foreign national balloons flying over your airspace, do like what Marjorie Taylor Greene told her constituents and shoot it down. Did she? She did tell them to do that. Don't actually do that. You could start a war. Empty in a cartridge at the sun. Oh, empty in a cartridge at the sun. How do we want to end this one? Well, you're about to head to the beach, I think. That's right. One of the perks of January. And oh my God, no, February now. Wow. When am I? Welcome to Aquarius season. In Los Angeles. I know. It's actually gorgeous in February. Yeah. Is it always? Usually, yeah. Oh, I'm obsessed with that. Yeah, it's it's the first nice day we've had in months. You, Allie, wear your sunblock. You listeners, wear your sunblock. Yes, broad, broad spectrum. What if I'm getting extraterrestrial messages? through uv rays (laughs) i guess not impossible and a message shows up on my skin no it like writes itself into your dna Ooh, scrambles it more likely you can only see it if you're using CRISPR or something Ooh, guys the future is ai just kidding i actually think ai is a gimmick but that's a conversation for next week for another day in the meantime stay real stay artificial and i'm done saying words so we'll see you next time good night You've been listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast. Subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for exclusive content we might not have time for, subscribe to our Patreon. One last thing before you go. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a review and tell your friends about us. Join in on the conversation when you follow us on Twitter at Radar Peak Pod. See you there.